Tom Chick. <laughs> Listening to the quarter to three movie podcast, where this week we will be discussing uh, 127 hours. I, I hope, Dingus, that you're giggling because you recognize the title of the song. Is that right? Right. But you're never going to get a girlfriend singing Pixies all the time. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, that was uh, Dingus Mukowski. Uh, Dingus, nice to have you. Uh, yeah, that, that's good, actually. That's that's very close. And did you know I, I was actually named after Blue John? <laughs> also, we have uh, Kelly Wand, who might have a tagline for us this week. I'm not sure. Kelly Wand, do you have a 127 hours related tagline? Yeah. On the upside, at least it wasn't his dick. <laughs> 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 wow! Spoiler, <laughs> Britney Spears. <laughs> Man, you peaked early, Kelly. Want to keep going? Uh, you'll be back in your room before me. Say that now. Uh, by the way, Kelly, Wan, did you know what that Pixie song was? No, it's too baked. All right, it was a Pixie song. Uh, Dingus. You, okay, here we go. Yeah, let me just play that. I'll. I'll You'd have to, like, wait till the chorus. Uh, it, it's called a Wave of Mutilation. I was quite happy to stumble across oh. it. Oh. Get it? So, Dingus, why don't you tell us a bit about why that's appropriate? What exactly is this movie? Just give us the sort of the non-spoiler basic overview of 127 Hours, Dingus. Uh, the non-spoiler... Um, yeah, Wave of Mutilation is a good pick. I'm kind of stumbling now. All right, this week we saw 127 Hours. Uh, and... In case Kelly doesn't know, this is a drama, drama thriller film, or a, or a drama film. Movie. You know. <laughs> um, no, you say movie. Sorry, a drama thriller movie about hiker Aaron yeah. who gets trapped under a very large rock while hiking alone in Utah. The film stars uh, James Franco. It's directed by Danny Boyle. It is rated R for language and some disturbing violent content and bloody images. Uh, now, Dingus, I noticed you didn't say... The one thing I knew about this movie, which I don't think is a spoiler because it was in the news, is something you didn't say. Is there a reason you don't mention that part? Uh, in my little uh, thumbnail, I don't give away any plot points. I'm just okay. sort of going for letting people know what movie we saw and just giving them a brief overview. This is what you can expect. And then Kelly will, will hopefully ah, good. Uh, illuminate us. Well, because I just, before we go over to, to Kelly Wan's synopsis, and I'm looking forward to hearing this, all I knew about this movie is, is that it was about the dude in the news who cut off his own arm. Uh, right. And I don't, ah! I don't think that's a spoiler because, well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I, Now I, I know he was in the news. Uh. <laughs> you should watch it sometime. Uh, Kelly Wan, why don't you tell us in more detail what exactly happens in 127 hours? The news is a spoiler, first off. Yeah. Uh in general. That's why you shouldn't watch it. Okay. Oh, you mean 127 Opsis? Rock and roll. All right. So this real-life dude named James Franco from General Hospital meets these two girls named Amber and Tamblin while he's out rock climbing. And after he shows them the secret grotto full of piranha, they invite him to a party in the back of a pickup truck hosted by Scooby-Doo. But he gets so drunk at the party, he hallucinates that he's stuck with his arm under a rock in this crevice named Blue John, 
which was named after a guy wearing red suspenders named Doug. <laughs> See around those parts when you hallucinate. Uh, and he's bummed because he left his bag of pee in the truck, and he only has this keg of orange Gatorade in the crevice with him. And uh, the sight of the Gatorade made everyone in the audience faint. And uh, he has a premonition of everyone he knows sitting on a couch watching him die. And uh, 127 hours go by, and he tries to masturbate, but uh, the whole arm thing. And he gets bored. So instead of cracking his video camera lens and using the sharp glass to cut his arm off, he uses a plastic spork which he had a hunch was going to happen, so he brought a designer sling along for his stump. And then he pesters some campers for their food so that they'll starve to death. And then a helicopter comes and rescues him, but then because he brought along so much camping equipment, the copter crashes back in the same crevice, and now the helicopter's trapped his other arm. And then uh, his premonition comes true after he buys this couch and makes his family and friends all sit on it to watch him come out of a swimming pool. <laughs> the end. <laughs> you, you did take some creative liberty there, but that was good, Kelly Wand. That's what I saw. <laughs> I, I say what I see. Now, did you not know, Kelly Wand, that the dude cuts his arm off? Like, was, was, that, uh, was that something you didn't see coming? Or is that mentioned in all the... the the previews and the well, I got tricked because I wanted to see this because I heard people were fainting at it, and then in the course of reading why people are fainting, you go, you learn that oh, it's the arm scene. He's like, ah, oh, thanks, asshole. There's the news fucking up the movie. Yeah. So, Dingus, did you remember but, the yeah. story? Like, did you know that that was coming? Yeah, I knew what it was about. Okay, because because but part... it's about. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. It's about. Well, I just want to say before you before we talk about the the broader themes, yeah, I I one of the reasons that I I think Danny Boyle knows uh, that everybody in the audience knows the guy's going to cut his arm off from that one shot of him fumbling for the Swiss Army knife. Uh, like I think right there, that's a little signal to the audience. Like I, I saw as soon as we get that reverse shot from inside the cabinet, and there's a Swiss Army knife in the foreground. Uh, I'm like, oh, that's what he's going to use to cut off his arm. And then he doesn't get it, and I'm like, wait a minute, well, what's he going to use? And at that point, I was, mm. I was even dreading it more. Like, oh, good Lord, what is he going to mm. have left? Because that's all I knew about this, is that it was a guy who cuts off his own arm. Uh, and I think everybody, I think Danny Boyle expects everybody going in the movie kind of knows that. Um, that's the easiest thing he did. The hard part's breaking it, so... That was kind of tricky, too. Well, okay, let, let's go to that scene, then. Uh, yeah, so what, uh, did anyone in your audiences faint, including you, either of you? How are you spelling I fainted for most of the movie, and then I woke up just in time for the arm part, and I fainted again. It's the only part I saw. But you know what? I'd rather sell my arm off than drink pee. The, the pee yeah, drinking, people, yeah, that was grim. People were much more, I heard much more gasping and, and retching during the pee drinking. Because my, my audience was, my theater was fairly full. And during the pee drinking, I could, I could hear there's a guy behind me that was clearly having trouble breathing. The, the sounds in the, in the auditorium were much more pronounced during the pee drinking. That, that was, now, I, I just want to clarify something here in case I ever get caught with my arm under a rock. Are you supposed to do that? Like, it, obviously, I guess he knew what he was doing. That was one of the cool things about this movie. It, it wasn't like open water where 
idiots have to survive. This is where dumbass. A, yeah, exactly. This is where a smart guy has to survive. So I, I just, for the record, want to confirm. So if you're going to die of dehydration, you're supposed to drink your, your pee? Is that right? Not yours, but somebody's. <laughs> yeah. All right. Did you guys know well, that, by the way? I, mean, I do it recreationally. I, I, learned that, I learned that from watching Waterworld. But you're supposed to have okay, some sort right. of filtration. No, he recycles it. Right. Well, he had gills. Waterworld has better tech than his backpack. Waterworld, the, dude had, the dude in Waterworld had gills, <laughs> so the gills probably yes. drain the urine. Uh, That's I, why his name was Mariner. Huh, guys? <laughs> nice. Good point. Uh, all right, so yeah, the, the pee drinking was, uh, there, there was a, but even the, the, the bone breaking in, in my audience and that montage of him sawing off his arm, that, that, that was pretty grim stuff as well. Uh, but, but it was almost impossible to hear what the audience was doing. And, and this, you know, I'm sort of jumping here, but because the music was so loud, it was impo- almost mm-hmm. impossible to hear what was going on with the audience. I, I actually was so out because there were times where I uh, I didn't really I had to look at the audience instead of looking at the screen on a couple of. I was wondering how you would feel about that, Tom, because there's a lot of uh, blood action going on. Here. You know, okay, so here's the thing: I don't mind the blood, and I did not mind so much the, uh, the the shots of him sawing at me. You know, I watch a lot of horror movies; that sort of thing isn't that unusual. Um, this is different. This is different because it is it's it's playing it so differently. But I maintain the grimmest. Two moments in this movie, at least from mm. my experience, mm-hmm. are the sound of his two bones breaking in his forearm. Uh, I, I think that was the just the, the sort of the peak of the gruesomeness of it for me. It's just that simple sound effect and the sensation of knowing that he's having to break his own arm. Uh, you know, in Planet Terror, I think, one of the grossest scenes in that is Marley Shelton's hand in the handle of the car door. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just something so... I, I mean, I'm so used to, in horror movies, seeing... You know, people getting stabbed and bleeding or whatever. I, on the screen, that doesn't do anything for me. But but snapping bones is still a tough one for me. And so when he had to snap those two bones in his forearm, yes. that, that was the tough part for me. Well, maybe he didn't feel this bad because the circulation was cut off, I like to think. But you'd feel it. And then he cut the nerve. Oh, God. And the part where he first trips, or, or where he grabs the rock and he goes, Oh, you're solid. And then he falls. That was harrowing, and that's like one of those things where you know it's going to happen, like right. you were saying about the knife scene, and you're just like, uh, don't do it. Just stay back. Well, that's a, the, the, a lot of the movie is based on, on dread, uh, you know, knowing what's coming. Yeah. Uh, uh. Right, but is it life-affirming, or is it um, just gnarly? Oh, come on. <laughs> so you, you know better than that, Kelly Wand. This is a, this is a pretty uplifting movie ultimately don't you think come on yeah i mean, I mean it's lucky it's a grim survival drama it's like in the could have been worse of things like open water but unlike those movies and it reminded me a lot of is it enter the void no into the void or out of the void or what what what's the one about the mountain climbers in bop, bop, bop. What? is that one you told me to watch i haven't seen yet i don't know that i've told you to watch this one there's a couple of great mountain climber movies, one of which is called North Face. Another one of, is called, I think, Into the Void. No. No, it's a ja- it's a gerund. Or it's a- over the entering the void, exiting the void, over hovering over the void. It's it's a famous case of, of a mountain climber's dilemma where... A gleaming, gleaming the void. <laughs> I know it's not that. 
Uh, Electric Booga Void. Uh, where, but in this movie, it's about, it's a, it's a dramatization of a dilemma. Touching. Two mount- touching the touching void. Touching the void. Thank you, Dingus. Very good. Where, where two mountain climbers are, are faced with the classic dilemma of one of them is dangling from a rope that the other one is attached to. So the guy on top has to deal with, do I cut my buddy loose and live, or do we just hang here forever and we both die? Fortunately, it ends up well for both of them, and you know this, because in Touching the Void, periodically, in addition to the actors reenacting what's going on, and with some great mountain climbing footage and and cinematography, it looks fantastic, periodically the actual mountain climbers themselves who survived come on and talk. Like, they're interviewed throughout the movie. So you know that they're both going to live. It ends up being more of a a 127 hours kind of of life-affirming story. Uh, but it reminded me a lot that this wasn't a grim open water or, or frozen or the canyon. Those are all like crappy, not crappy, open water is good. But the canyon and frozen are, are crappy. And they are played for horror movies, and they have grim endings, and they're terrible. This definitely isn't one of those. Uh, so when you ask Kelly... Well, open water is fiction, and you watch open water knowing it's fiction. Open water is not fiction, fiction, actually. Open water is based on a true yeah, story of a married no. couple. What? No, it is, like Castaway. How did they find them? Uh, right. They didn't. They found their uh, their diving outfits. Camera in the, sh- the the it was in a couple down in Australia, uh, and uh, they they were left behind on a, a boat. And then later on, they found their outfits. And uh, basically, what happened is they died of dehydration and in in, in in a state of delirium, took off the outfits that were keeping them afloat, uh, and probably drowned. Well, in open water, it was because the dumbass miscounted. Because the other dumbass put on the suit or something. It's like this Three's Company bit. Like, was that part real? And oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. It was a diving company. They weren't very experienced divers. Uh, actually, I don't know about that. But it, they were, there were definitely some repercussions among the guy running the, the diving operation uh, after this couple. And I don't remember mm. the name. After this couple went missing and, and died after being uh, left stranded. Um, so it's still uh, different. So I, I think this because belongs in the life-affirming category rather than the just gnarly category, to answer your question, Kelly Wand. Did you cry? Ask him or Dingus, because I know Dingus did. Did he? Sure. Can we hear his voice? Is he still <laughs> crying? Dingus, I dare you right now to deny that you didn't get really choked up at the end of this movie because it had all that father-son stuff. Go. I dare you to deny it right now. Uh, Girl juice in the eyes. What? Um, I, the thing is, my voice gets very slow when I talk about Nobody knows what you're talking about, Dingus. I apologize. <laughs> no, I, I didn't cry. You're such a liar. <laughs> I really didn't. Uh, and we really haven't even talked about who liked it and who didn't. Okay, let's go around the room. Uh, Dingus, why don't you start us off? I don't think anyone here didn't like it. Come on, Dingus, go. I liked it, but, um, but I thought that Danny Boyle was constantly getting in the way of it. And that and uh, and so it's it's. I'm sorry. No, I'm. I was wrong. You're right. No. <laughs> go, go ahead. Explain yourself, Dingus. So Danny Boyle's constantly getting in the way. Go ahead. Uh, I, I think especially with the music. The music got so loud in three in the three key moments for me that it constantly got in the way of my emotion. And I thought I thought that his use of music was so overwhelming and overbearing actually that it was letting me off the hook emotionally. And um, and I, I I thought that the film didn't have an understanding, or the filmmaker didn't have an understanding of how important silence is in this situation, 
And for that reason, it worked against me because it, it called to mind some key moments in my life where, where you get this type of moment. And there's this, there's this thing that he says at the, at the moment when the rock falls on him. He just sort of says, this is insane. And, and I think we, we've all had these types of moments where we get ourselves into trouble, where we think, oh, all of a sudden, geez, I could die here. And it, it is this sort of, this is insane kind of moment. I'm lost. I'm, I'm, I'm out in the water too far or whatever. This is insane. And, uh, and that was really touching for me. But then uh, Danny Boyle kept inserting himself. So I, I, I felt like I wanted just to sort of live with James Franco because I really loved his performance. Uh, I'm going to quote that uh, out of context. Yeah. Anyway. Go, ahead, mm-hmm. go ahead and cart that up. We should just put that in. Um, I wanted to live with his performance, and I kept feeling like Danny Boyle kept saying, hey, I'm making the movie. Don't forget me. Okay. And, uh, That's a know. fair complaint. Let's get back to that. Kelly Wan, I think- you like it. Yeah, and I think what Dingus is saying is true, but it also kind of helped me get through it easier. And I'm, I'm with I would have gotten points. I'm, I'm with you, Kelly Wand, 100. percent I mean, whereas you could say he gets in the way, and I I get what you're saying, Dingus. I think he instead makes it a much more I want to say palatable. I was going to say palatable, Kelly Wand. Get out of my head. Uh, I want to say palatable, but I think he just makes it more of a, a movie. He, he makes it more about yeah. you know a movie telling a story, and it's not. It's not just a quiet experience with James Franco in Iraq. Uh, and I, I kind of appreciated that because it's, it had the potential to be really grim and overbearing. And I think by exploring some of his hallucinations and by doing stuff with the music and by using sort of cinematic language, and you could argue overusing it, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily disagree, Dingus, uh, he really does, I think, illustrate the, what's going on in the context of a movie rather than just one guy in a, in a rock. Uh, you're you're and right. He also you're, gives you're, right. you're absolutely well, he right. Um, but but I don't want to be let off the hook. I don't want to be helped through it. I want to have to struggle through it with him. I, I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to be let off the hook. Have you seen Open Water, Dingus? You have, haven't you? Of course, yeah. So so I think like Open Water does that. I think Open Water. You, you basically wanted an Open Water with James Franco. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Kelly, want to rebut that for me? It's Danny Boyle. Take what you <laughs> well, that, yeah. there, there were times I was watching. I was thinking, this, this is definitely the director. This is the this is the guy who did Slumdog Millionaires, all right. <laughs> right. So you know, but you get. I mean, okay, you you sacrifice the thing Dingus is missing. You sacrifice the solitude. And by the way, the the movie that did that the, too much was that one with Casey Affleck and Matt Damon in the desert. Was it called Jerry? Yeah. Well, I've never seen that. That's a Gus Van Sant thing. Is that uh, a survival drama? It's, well, kind I you know, kind of. It's like this if it was really quiet. So if you watched that and 127 hours back to back, I think you'd, you'd swing towards my and Tom's side. <laughs> you know, I, I like some of the cinema... Uh, some of the cinema editions. I mean, I like the way it begins with these images of overcrowding. I like that three split screen thing that he does. I like the hallucinations. My main problem is with music and how overbearing it is in moments that I don't think it's necessary and where it lets me off the hook emotionally. So you mentioned three moments, Dingus. What were the? You obviously have in mind three specific moments where you thought the music was too much. Am I right? Oh, you're you're right. I'm sorry. I. Uh, the the three moments are the the deluge hallucination where I just felt like the music was going to drive me crazy and I don't think that 
that's how hallucinations and dreams work. Um, the 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 uh, the severance scene, the amputation, and then the the helicopter rescuing. I, I just I felt like he was just hammering us with music, and in particular in that, and I, and I understand how you want music to sort of rescue you from the sounds that are going on in the amputation scene. I understand that, but I just didn't want it. I want to hear what he's going through, and I want to hear him. If, if you're going to have to, because I remember being lost or being trapped or being alone and, and music playing in my head, but it was music that I was playing in my head. It was my voice singing in my head to banish silence. And this was very much an external feeling of, of the soundtrack hammering, my, hammering me as an audience member. And I just felt like it was pushing me emotionally out of the film right. so in Ding, all three of those moments. Okay, well, Ding, it's, uh, one thing that comes to mind is you can sing. Those of us who can't sing, we only have, we can imagine movie soundtracks. <laughs> uh, there's a, I imagine Dingus' cover. Dingus, have you seen Touching the Void? Yes, I have. Do, do you remember how they use music in that? How he talks about that Boney M song uh, and how he never wanted to hear it again. It's called like Brown Sugar or something. Do you, do you remember what I'm talking about? I actually don't. Well, as he's, uh, it's, and when he's at the latter stage where he's actually gotten out and he's dragging himself to, to freedom and it's the, you know, he's delirious, he keeps hearing a, a, a song by, I think the name is Boney M. Uh, he keeps hearing that in his head. Uh, and they use it in in the movie, and I think he says something like, "And I I never want to hear that song ever again." <laughs> but but it, it makes me think a little bit about what you're talking about. Is they they didn't necessarily hire someone to do a score for it, like Danny Boyle did. And Danny Boyle loves that sort of like, like he uses music very liberally, and he applies it thickly, and he, he uses loud crescendos, like like John Murphy's soundtrack for Twenty Eight Days Later and Sunshine. I mean, that's what I think of Danny Boyle. I mean. I think of music as hugely important to him, and, and it's almost like on equal footing, and you could argue that that can be overwhelming, which which seems to be the case here. Um, but I, I saw it as an extension of that character, too. Like, he's, in, he's hearing that. Uh, well, and I want to touch briefly a, on the... Yeah. You mentioned specifically when he's sawing his, his arm, there's a sound effect that's, that I think is kind of part of the music of him hitting nerves. Like, right, it, right. it seems to really be built around what's going on on screen, rather than something like Clint Eastwood composing something and then just dripping it onto whatever he shot. Uh, uh. <laughs> so it I, worked for me. I, I think that's effective. I, you know, when I see that, I don't see it as a, that thing that he has to cut, which looks more like a tendon than a nerve to me. But, but you get the feeling, you're right, of the jangling of nerves when that, that sound effect happens, and I think that is effective. Uh, so to, there's a lot of... Just real quick, I want to Kelly Wan, I want to hear what there's a lot of, but I just want to weigh in and say that I did like it. I really liked it. So, Kelly Wan, you and I are the big time apologists. Dingus is sort of a more reserved uh, fan. Well, there's a lot of Franco in it that he feels. <laughs> Dingus feels gypped of. There's tons of good Franco. You're, there's there's plenty of silent Franco. I mean, it's not all the way, but there's 127 hours worth of Franco. <laughs> Well, and there, there were, it certainly did take its time at moments. Or it, it slowed down, and it was quiet at times. And, and one of my favorite quiet moments was also very unexpected when he finally frees his arm, and he's looking at that spot where he had been as he's walking away. Yeah. He's looking at it, and I'm, what I'm thinking in my head is that if that was me, and I was looking at that, and I was about to leave that scene, I would go, and I apologize for my language, but I would look at that, and I would go, fuck you, and walk away. 
But he looks at it, and he goes, thank you. And he walked yeah. away. I loved that moment. Yeah. That was just so quiet, yeah. considered, and unexpected. Um, that is a beautiful moment. He takes a little picture, too. That's yeah, cool. yeah. Yeah, takes a picture. Yeah. That's great. Uh, let's talk about the uh, integration of, like, like having the, the, the video diary and the camera, those little things, like how it was very 2003 with all these little gadgets and, and, and stuff. Uh, what did you guys think of some of that stuff? I really liked uh, that. Mm-hmm. I, I liked it, it. I don't know, uh, and this sort of touches a little bit. I, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about our discussions about uh, social network, and I was wondering how much of this happened, and then I didn't care. I, I liked the, 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 the use of the camera. I liked it so because it felt like he was taking a companion along without having to take a companion along. And he used it early. He used it when he was talking about, I'm going to take 45 minutes off of this. And when he falls, when he, you know, he wrecks on his bike and he uses it. Uh, I, I liked the way he used it. I thought, I thought it was used appropriately, not so much that I felt like this should be a found footage thing. But I, I really liked how it was used, mm-hmm. especially my, my favorite moment is, is when he reacts to his own hysteria when he see when he runs it back and he sees his own hysteria right. and he says says don't lose it and that right there I thought salvaged any misgivings I might have had about okay we're gonna have like a a video diary sequence like in the Resident Evil movie or whatever I mean that's such an overdone thing but when when it sort of is played back for him when he uses it and and when he watches I I thought it was really cute when he's watching the girls you know that that yeah like the the way that it became a little interactive buddy with him the way you you mentioned it Dingus. Uh, and a, and a mirror of sorts as well. Uh, I really liked Kelly. One, you had some reservation. It sounds like you started to go. Uh... I liked all that stuff except for when he says, "And I didn't tell anyone where I was going." Oops! I thought "Oops" was that a character for him. Well, that's where he was split a... into three characters, though. So, out of which character for him? Because <laughs> uh, he was the host. It, he was the guest. He was trapped in Loser Canyon. The caller, and he was the guest trapped in Blue John Canyon. I liked him as the caller. Yeah. <laughs> it made me wish I'd seen Buried, like, right before. Ah, don't talk about Buried. Did you like that game show or, or talk show thing? Here, Kelly, one. I liked it. Was, you, Tom, I'm going on record. Like it? Like it. Yes, I, I liked almost all of the hallucination, uh, even the dream. I mean, Dingus, I, I get that it, it felt a little manipulative. Uh, but I like the dream. I love the talk show bit with the, the, the voice, you know, the, the laugh track. Um, I loved all of that. I loved the couch vision, the premonition, all that stuff. I really liked a lot. And I did, I did like the, the talk show bit. Uh, Kelly, what do you, you think, Kelly? Yeah. Uh, I like the part where he said goodbye to his parents. That was sad. You know, it reminded me of, uh, I think you still have not seen Blair Witch Project. Is that right? That is true. But you guys have, set, have talked about it enough that I feel like I've seen it. Well, there's some really good confessional stuff in Blair Witch Project where she's using the camera. And hysteria. And hysteria. I mean, Blair Witch Project is found footage, so it's all in the camera. But there's specifically some moments where late at night in the tent she turns on the camera and, and says goodbye to her folks, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And she apologizes to the other guy's mom, like, sorry I killed your kid. Uh, uh, I bring okay. that out here. Does she not talk to her so own folks? Am I misremembering? She probably does. I can't remember. 
But it, I mean, just forever. that sort of like intense confessional moment, like right in an actor's face with the actors looking into the camera at you. Like, I love that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I liked it in Blair Witch Project and I, I liked it here. James Franco is just so likable. That guy, I want to live, Dingus lets you and me both live with him. Yeah. Yeah. We should. It'd be like two and a half men. <laughs> Wait a minute. Which one of us is the half men? I'm not going to say. Wait. <laughs> I, you know, uh, I, I really well, like he, One uh, of them has one arm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I liked Horrible. that talk show thing, but I could do without the laugh track. And I know you liked it, but it, it just reminded me of this moment in, I think it was Natural Born Killers. Yeah, with Rodney Dangerfield, the yeah. child, the molestation scene. Or, yeah. Plus, after Requiem for a Dream, you can't do game show hallucinations anymore. <laughs> but it wasn't a game show. It was just a talk show that was taking calls. Did you guys see the preview for Black Swan? No, we did not. No, Ooh. we're not going to talk about that. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about other movies, Kelly Wan. This is to spoil 107 hours. So All a couple right. of, a couple of uh, Danny Boyle touches that I, I, I'm starting to see. These are, these are comp. Like, he loves showing shots of airplanes high in the stratosphere <laughs> as a reminder of civilization. Uh, and I loved here, by the way, and was so reminded of 28 Days Later, the title card. When it finally yeah. showed up, the moment it showed up, I was like, oh, that's lovely. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was an excellent moment, too, and it does totally call to mind. Yeah. yeah. Which, which, by the way, if you watch the opening half hour or so of, of 28 Days Later, the, the music build... You, you sort of mentioned the way he uses music, Tom. Um, the music build... Uh, until Killian Murphy gets to that that kiosk with all the pictures mm-hmm. is excellent, and I, I really I like that as a contrast to this. And I don't know it, it, it's not really fair because Aaron Ralston is listening to music, you know, the whole time. But I I love how Twenty Eight Days Later begins in silence and slowly, slowly, slowly builds to that overbearing music. Right. Right. And I, I just, I really trust Danny Boyle's instincts. And here, I didn't. It didn't even occur to me that it, it didn't work. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I didn't like. I don't trust him necessarily, um, because I've, I've seen a bunch of his films lately, and, uh, and Slumdog. He's using the same music guy he used for Slumdog, and I didn't really care. It, Slumdog's fine, it, but I didn't get uh, overwhelmed by it. It's my least favorite Danny Boyle. And I tried to watch a couple other uh, of his films that are really horrible, and that was a mistake. What if, what if his films are really horrible? Yeah. Oh, Life Less Ordinary is kind of lame. Never seen. I tried to watch the Life Less Ordinary, and that was that was a and and I'd never seen The Beach, so I decided to watch The Beach. Oh yeah. Uh, it's got that girl in it, though. <laughs> yeah, she she is a girl, and she's in it. What, Tilda Swinton? <laughs> yeah. No. All right, Kelly Wand, whatever floats your boat. Uh, Kelly Wand, I just wanted to ask you, because when I was watching the movie, I'm like, i got to check with Kelly Wand on this. Uh, Amber Tamblin or Kate Mara? Uh, Kate Mara. That's what I thought you'd say. By a hair. <laughs> By an arm and a leg. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, why does it have to be an either-or? Good point. What kind of question is that? Fair That's enough. Question. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, Kelly Wand. This is why... Wait, this don't is I get the choice? Why? You, well, you've made your choice, Dingus. You're married. <laughs> you just say Paul Walker and Ashton Kutcher and all your little... Well, I was going to say Lizzie Kaplan. 
Oh, yeah, there was a cute little Lizzie Kaplan appearance there. That's right. I, as, the, as the movie starts, and I know what we're in for, is watching James Franco in Iraq for 90 minutes. I'm watching the cast list going, how are they going to get all these people in this movie? Uh, these, these people are famous. and they <laughs> Treat Williams? Yeah. <laughs> It's got to be a hallucination on a couch, because with that many people, they're going to have to be on a couch. <laughs> it's going to take a big couch. Well, I, I actually wondered if we were going to be in for a, uh, and Dingus, this would have driven you nuts, uh, if we were if we were, if we were going to be in for a alternating scenes between him and the people looking for him, realizing he's missing. Oh, uh, and I, then oh, I knew Dingus would have been like, no, we should stay in the elevator. Don't leave the elevator. The movie should not leave the elevator. Uh. <laughs> yeah, but that's not the movie this is, Tom. Come on, grow up. The motives of the rock. Here we go. Um, can you, Do you guys, guys rock out? climb stuff? Are you guys thrill seekers? Which one isn't Dingus the diver who goes down? Dingus. No, so uh, I don't, Dingus. I don't think you're certified. I, I go diving. Oh, Dingus I, and I, I go have down, fun. but I, I'm not. A diver. Whoa, whoa. Uh, Dingus I'm and I, guys. Dingus and I, by the way, have our own. It's not 127 hours. It's more like eight hours. But we have our own survival drama. That we will recount later, um, but uh, Dingus, you started to say something. We'll 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 explain our our survival drama in a little bit. Uh, I I didn't understand um, his premonition came true. Can you help me with that? Oh come on, Dingus! So all That's the people supposed on the to be the podcast. Podcast. Yeah, I know, Mister Father. That's the one you missed. That's the part you didn't oh, get. There he is. I'm okay, sad so, for your kids. Yeah, I am too. Uh, constantly. Um, <laughs> What did like I miss? Because cause when I'm seeing the kid, I at the beginning I was just thinking, well, this is him seeing a younger version of himself. But see, we'd and, already, I'm sorry to cut you off, we'd already seen him as a, as a younger version of himself. Like, that was oh, a different yeah. boy. It, it, that was pretty clear to me. Because I, I remember when that happens, thinking, well, we've already seen him as a boy. We've had his flashback to his own childhood. Oh, it's his son. Thanks, James Cameron. I mean, that's kind of the, that was my reaction. To, to that point. So you that didn't work for you so much? No, I, I just didn't I didn't see it. Because okay. it, it looked like the the couch was constantly looking like a period piece to me. And the kid looked like a a kid from the period of his youth. I mean the, the hair, the couch. The the whole thing just seemed of a piece. Right. And so when it later said his premonition came true, he met this woman three years later and he had a kid, then I had to go, oh, was that kid supposed to be his child? Because I, I thought that was just a younger version of himself. Well, now, so. Dingus, they, I think they took pains to make it clear to even people like you when they showed James <laughs> Franco having the little kid walk on his feet, like showing the little kid how to walk. <laughs> like, do, do oh, that yeah, stuff? yeah, yeah, good, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, was, I, I, I remember that, but I, I didn't. I totally didn't get it. I just thought that was absurdity or, or hallucination, Bill. Right. Let's see all that works. I thought Kelly Wan would well, explain the scene. It worked for me because I thought this is kind of slow, which means he's gonna be cutting off his arm. <laughs> <laughs> what I didn't Anything expect. That's slow. Yeah. What I didn't expect were the were the dry runs, which I really appreciated. The dry runs for cutting his arm off. Oh yeah, God, yeah. Well, that made it, I mean, it, 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 the thing is, he realizes early on with the, the line about, so I got a great turn, so I came up with a great tourniquet. Like, like early on, he knows he's got to do it, and I'm like, okay, here we go. And it's so, it's back this yeah, well, and it's hovering over the movie for a while. Like, after that, once he, I mean, it's hovering over the entire movie, but once he mentions the tourniquet, I'm kind of like hunkering in, like, oh, God, this is coming soon. But it, it gets forestalled until his future son inspires him. 
Um, basically, until he's in such dire straits that he has to do it for his unconceived son. Uh, at that point, he does. That, he stabs himself the first time, and he go, and then it's like he's thinking, oh, "I'm just, I just need the blood. Just, I'm just not doing it, not doing it." Well, he, he, all the he's, on the second dry run, he's, he, like you said, he stabs himself, and then he goes bone. Yeah, and, and then that, he realizes there's nothing he can do about that. Like he's not gonna be able to cut through bone with that that uh, that. I don't even know what it was. It wasn't a. Just a, it wasn't a Leatherman. It was a made-in-China yeah. tool. It came with the flashlight. Racist. And, and this what is, is where I think you're right, Tom, about him being, about Danny Boyle being smart. Running those two dry runs is, is his way of saying, I know this, this is hanging like a specter over the film, and I'm, I'm going to let you know that I know that. Right. Right. Uh, so can you get, could you guys do that? You know, that's, that's, that Kelly Wand is, uh, in as much as any horror movie, is about the audience identifying themselves in that mm-hmm. situation. That was just so crystal clear. I mean, I think everybody watching this movie has going through their head, good Lord, could I do that? What if I had to do that? Uh, and, you know, obviously the, the first thing you think of is, no, there's no way. But, you know, after you're there for that long... And plus, I would like to think if it's been trapped under a rock that long, isn't it's isn't starting? Yeah, right. It's, it's, it's starting right. to get numb. Does that make things a little bit easier? Uh, but plus, that guy had such a level of competence. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. when he's doing his inventory, yeah. don't lose it. Those those moments, he knows what he's what he's up against. He's he's rationing his water. He's timing when he can eat, when he can drink. Those are things I really admire, and not not skills I have. Exactly. That's the part where I'm thinking, you know, it, this isn't about could I cut my arm off. It's about would I be smart enough to do all those things, you know, to rig up the harness to sleep in, uh, you, you know, when he drops the knife, uh, you know, not just drinking all the water right up front. Uh, uh, this is clearly a movie about a really smart guy who knew what he was doing trapped in this difficult situation. Um, and yet who was, uh, who was stupid about one particular part right. of his life. Well, but you say stupid, but I mean... Hey, that's the wrong word. You're right. I mean, it was Selfish. an oversight. Yeah, it, exactly. Uh, who expects that when they just go on a hike, something that they're competent at, that they're good at, that the rock is going to pin them? And he's gone out a hundred times, and he's never had a problem. Right, right. And he's but, young and but, full of... But, and that's part of the adventure. It's like, ah, I don't need But he, if, if, if he were teaching somebody, or if he were a guide... Right. He would be telling people, buddy system, tell people where you're going. But he, there's a certain amount of hubris there where I don't need that. And, and he definitely does cop to that. Yeah, you're right. Like, he definitely. So, so not st- st- more stupid than someone who knows as much as he knows should be. Man, that was torture. So afterwards, it's just, <laughs> he, he leaves notes, and then, but he still doesn't bring a cell phone with him. There's no reception out there, Kelly Wand. Have you not seen other survival horror movies? There's no reception out in the wilderness. Duh. Or even the end of it. The Shia LaBeouf movie where his phone tells him to kill people. Uh, Eagle Eye. And it's not... Yeah, it's Julianne Moore. It's his phone. So there's there's one of these crappy horror movies. It's called The Canyon. And it's a a newlywed couple of actors you've never heard of before and will never hear of again. Uh, they're, They're on their honeymoon in the Grand Canyon. Uh, because that's a great place to go on a honeymoon. Yeah. And they're mm-hmm. gonna they're gonna take the Grand Canyon tour, 
and oh, it's full. It's booked up. They don't have reservations. What? Yeah. The canyon's all full. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, no room in the canyon for you. So they they uh, they skulk around and they find an unauthorized guide played by the only famous person in this movie, Will Patton. So Will Patton, uh, their unauthorized guide, who's taking the idea, the Grand Canyon. <laughs> But, and he's a little weird, but it turns out he means hey. well. But what happens in the course of the movie is rattlesnakes <laughs> ambush them and scare them. And, and, and they, they no. hold on, hold on. They scare Shark off. Jump. <laughs> and, they, so and they scare off work. the mule. And there was a mule that had all their stuff on it. And the rattlesnakes scare off the mule and they bite Will Pat. was this? This is like uh, it was post open water. This was maybe two, three years ago. So I'm we'll, just saying mules. Uh, no, well that's how you that's how you tour the Grand Canyon. I think you bring a mule, a and, mule? A, and a grizzled guide. Sure. So you don't have to carry. You, if you're going down a steep surface. Let's bring a pack animal with hooves. Well, that's that's actually how they do it, Kelly. That's Long. how they do it. I've ridden horses down the Grand Canyon, so there. Uh, that's before they had anything like. I don't mean before the car was invented. <laughs> so I, anyway, so I, the reason that I'm bringing up the canyon, so so Will Patton dies of the snake bite. They can't get the mule. It's the husband and wife uh. trapped in the canyon. They don't know where they are, but they've got a cell phone, and they're trying to get reception. So the 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 decisive, oh, they're so screwed twist to this movie is the husband keeps climbing up on rocks to try to get a signal, you know, holding doing that whole movie cell phone thing where if you lift your hand, you get to yeah. a high might get reception so he's trying to do that and he stumbles and falls and gets his leg wedged in a crevice that he can't get it out of uh and that's what leads to his death and the wife eventually i think she escapes uh but so that's the survival it's it's the cell phone that kills them in the canyon ah hmm so the moral is leave a note is better (laughs) and don't and leave the cell phone home yeah i I sense that aaron ralston doesn't carry a cell phone like right. he's, he's learned nothing. Well, no, he lost down. it at some point. He never decided to buy a new one. Because when he was reaching for that Swiss Army knife, until until the the third shot, I thought he was reaching for a cell phone because the phone keeps ringing in that scene, and then it's and then it's clear it's a Swiss Army knife, and he leaves. And the the only scene you see is is of the answering machine, the physical answering machine. You never see a cell phone, I don't think. I don't think they had... It's, so. it's uh, 2003, though. Yeah, they didn't have yeah. them yet. Uh, yeah, good point, good point. Uh, so also, the, he's leaving notes. He's leaving notes, it says, but his arms, his writing hand is still in the canyon, so maybe no one can read <laughs> <laughs> I did wonder, so I... Well, never mind. Well, yeah, you know, I'll say this. So the scene where he's uh, considering the footage of Kate Mara and mm-hmm. considering ways to pass the time... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm listening. But his right hand is caught in the right. Rock. So I was sort of like, in that situation, what would I do? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. What, what do you do? You can't. <laughs> you, uh, you're you not can ambidextrous. Self-paw. I, I like self-paw. Don't you? All it's right. Easier. Feels like you're cheating. Hey, uh, <laughs> the moral for this movie, yeah, it is. You got to bite flowers first. But uh, getting back to the movie, <laughs> this is why I never leave the house because it's like stone conquers man. <laughs> <laughs> and also, it's like he lives, but the rock's thinking, "Haha, I got your arm." So, what was the movie we saw where rocks were going to be reincarnated? Was that in Stone? Was that the religion in Stone that they talk about where rocks are reincarnated? 
Do you remember yes. Kelly Wan? Because Kelly Wan made the trenchant point that rocks never die. So how is it rock right. going to be reincarnated? So they live. They exist for millions of years too. So if you're going to come back as one, you have to wait for a new slot. <laughs> That's quite a cue there. Uh, what did you guys think of the? But we're all made of star stuff. Well, the the stuff about my my entire life has been headed towards this one rock. Like, what did you guys think? I love that. Uh, I, I did it. too. So me and Kelly Wan loved. That's my favorite line. Yeah. It, Dingus, or were you okay with that little sequence? Uh, I loved it because Destiny. it was such a payoff for that that weird little flashback of of how did this big thing get here? That his friend on top of that huge rock, which is that weird flash, one of his first flashes, and I really liked that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think, yeah. and also, hold on. Well, I, I just, I, the, the rock, like when I first, as, as the movie was unfolding, I was reminded of, I think it was Winston Churchill or, or someone who said something about the the inanity of inanimate objects, which I've often mm. felt, you know, whenever whenever you stub your toe on furniture, you know, you're, you're keenly aware of the inanity of inanimate objects. So I felt that way about this, about this stupid rock, you know, early on in the movie. But he in, instead, and this is one of the really cool twists and one of the really cool angles that I thought the movie ends up creating that I figure is part of uh, Aaron Ralston's book, is this idea that, no, this is part of your destiny and, and there, there's meaning mm-hmm. to it. You know, this, this foolish, pointless thing actually has some meaning to it. And, and, it's, and when he finally thanks The Rock, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed how the movie played with that idea. Early on, you know, this stupid rock this is insane, this can't be happening, mm-hmm. too. This is predestined. There's a meaning out of it. Thank you. Like, I love that. Well, and also, it's a, it's a payoff to when he's talking to the girls, and they go, these don't move. These rocks don't move. And he goes, yeah, they move all the time, but hopefully not today. <laughs> right. But it's like that one rock moved that day. Yep. Yep. And also, I liked when he's chipping away, and he goes, yeah, I'm settling it. It's settling more in the more I chip at it because my hand's holding it in. So it's like. One of the things I He's wondered, part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things I wondered early on, and James Franco, I don't know, like I didn't get the sense that he was in shock, but I was wondering, was it painful? Like I couldn't tell if it was, there was obviously that smear of blood, which looked like it had fingernails or something in it. It looked really gruesome, but I didn't get the sense of if this was painful. He seemed awfully calm and, and together, and it didn't seem like it hurt. Like it was just wedged in there snugly. Um Maybe it just felt like nothing. Like I don't know that they did. Make, I mean, his acting was so good in the movie that it makes me think the guy must have told him, "Oh yeah, you don't feel it" or something. Like it just seemed like I. I thought what you did. It seemed so surprising. I go, that must be true and real. Well, <laughs> and, and, he did no, I, I got a couple senses of pain when he's when he's reaching when he has to reach for the the knife or the the multi tool that's fallen, mm-hmm. and in another moment when he says, "Don't pass out," I think in in the. Uh, in the well, that's the cutting. That's in the cutting, cutting scene. Yeah, yeah. But but I I do get a sense that there there I did get a sense for pain a couple of times, but not overwhelming. Well, I've having hit my hand with my thumb with a hammer. I mean, I just can't imagine that that would not have been excruciating. So I don't know. Maybe he was in shock or something. But uh, all right. Hmm. Hmm. To people who say games are the superior storytelling medium, I would submit this movie as proof that they're wrong, because you couldn't do a game. Although playing a game is kind of like having your arm stuck under a rock, only instead of a rock, it's a mouse. <laughs> okay, good. Oh, man, I wished I'd hit the Britney Spears at that point. Mm-hmm. That was good, Kelly Wand. No. 
<laughs> How did you guys uh, feel about the the whole sequence with the two girls, with Megan and Christy? That I should go hiking uh, more often? Yeah, good. <laughs> Very good. I am left-handed, so that part was fine for me. But do you mean when he meets them and they go swimming in the magic pool? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought. Well, you know, the whole movie. I mean. It, it starts off with this exhilarating sense of youth and freedom, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 you know that he's heading towards being pinned in a rock. Uh, so I really liked how how spirited it is early on, and I kind of appreciated that it found a way to get some. And I'm going to sound all touchy feely here, but I really appreciated that it found a way to get some some feminine energy <laughs> into the into the story, and it wasn't just about dude goes hiking. Uh, so I don't know how contrived that was, but I really did appreciate it. Well, and also it made him, like, he wanted to share some awesomeness that he knew with, you know, young people. Yeah. Even though he was, you know, it's like he's spreading the wealth. So he, was, he was showing fellow thrill seekers how to seek thrills more. Now, why do you ask, Dingus? Did, did that not work for you? How did you feel about that stuff? It worked really well for me, and often in this kind of movie, it can feel um, just like we, we're trying to get a bunch of extra characters in here so you don't feel like you're stuck with one guy for an entire film. But I liked how that worked, and those two, those two actresses, Kate Mara and Amber Tamblyn, were perfect in, yeah. in that sequence. Uh, I found myself wondering in that whole dropping into the water sequence which i really loved and i loved the callback or not callback but seeing it again on the on the camera uh, i just kept wondering how did he find that the first time but i, I don't really worry about that I, I just i'm just curious about it and i i just loved how all of that worked and how they they as he ran away they said we uh, we probably don't even figure into his day yeah <laughs> but but your point about it adding a feminine element to the film is really well well thought out tom and i didn't think about this because right after that moment there's this, there's this moment that really really had an impact on me is when he's running running before right before he gets trapped and he's running with his hand along the wall it's a very tactile very sensuous mm-hmm. sort of moment where where he's feeling the wall and then later on when the when the sun comes in and and how he reacts to the sunlight and he feels it and touches it th- there's a real sense of why he has to be out there what he's what he's getting away from and what he has to be in contact with and and that element of of coming in contact with the feminine and then moving on from that and touching the rocks i think there's 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 a real uh, there's a real touchstone there, not to not to use a pun. Oh, I, uh, I mean that. Jesus. Uh, but I, I like how you put yeah. that. Tom. I really like how you put that. Uh, it 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 made me curious too to read the book. I, I, I'm curious to hear uh, Mr. Ralston's words uh, about this himself. Like, and I was so pleased. Normally, this is gratuitous. Did you guys see World Trade Center, by the way? Yeah. Uh, World Trade Center so terrible, and they do the mandatory shot of the actual fireman at the end, and it was like, oh, God, please, uh, roll the credits already. I'm out of here. But I was so pleased that they showed the real Aaron Ralston at the end. Uh, I just, uh, that I was really glad of that. Did that bother either of you? You guys were both okay with that, right? Yeah, I was cool. Uh, okay. I, well, I, you guys sound nah about it, but I really wanted to see this guy. Like, it's wanting, I'm now curious to read the book, but I really wanted to see, you know, the real dude. Well, I was glad they did that. It's part. a trade-off, though, because then you you know you've just been watching James Franco's awesome acting, so it's kind of like a curtain call. Otherwise, you wouldn't have known. 
Well, it's not. It's it's like listening to a closed set, and then a roadie comes out and farts on metal. Wow, that's your that's your analogy. That's what you're going to go with. Yeah. So the real Aaron Ralston's like a roadie farting on metal. Well, it, it is like it, it's like in Touching the Void, where the real mountain climbers are present throughout the movie. You, you know, I think that 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 was trying a very different approach, but I was glad there was a touch of it at the end that they acknowledged the actual dude at the end. And, have, and he, you know, he looked kind of like I expected. I mean, that I, I, it satisfied my curiosity. It's what I wanted to know. Otherwise, I would have gone home and, you know, Googled him and seen what this guy really looked like. And uh, I was glad to get to see that. I guess, I mean, see, he lived, and he comes across as cool. But the end of the wild guy was kind of douchey in the movie, and he's dead. That's a, that's a good one to bring up, Kelly Wand. Like, uh, See, part of the difference, though, is Into the Wild is that that guy was really so ill-prepared for the right. places his philosophy took him. You, you know, right. that, that there was a – and that almost made this guy fundamentally unsympathetic to me. Uh, he was just, he was the Clouseau to Aaron Ralston's uh, – <laughs> <laughs> Oh, perfect. That is so nice, Kelly Wan. Yeah, but but a, a callow fellow like that just isn't the same as – you know this this smart, personable engineer uh, that, that we saw in 127 hours. So, <laughs> right. I have so much respect for him, no matter what his mistakes are. Just when he does that inventory, I just loved that moment. That was that was like the video game moment, Kelly Wan, where you're opening your you're opening your inventory screen <laughs> and what things. Yeah, but you can't drop it in the game. Uh, you could you a critical fumble. He rolled a one on a D20. Uh, I don't, I don't drink pee in games. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty to three, I'm caught in between. Counting one, two, three, feet apart, not free, getting down with three, the everybody loves I gave you better ones earlier. Oh, crap, we didn't get to talk about the Bruges girl. Damn it. Who's the Imbruge girl? Oh, she's from Imbruge, the blonde chick? No. Oh, yeah. I've seen her. All right. Well, just for people listening, the girl... I do her in any city. <laughs> uh, I on, mean... What, what is our 3x3 three three that you really want? Well, it's the one you said you really wanted to do, I thought. What? I never said that. When did I say that? In bed, that one night. Ah! From <laughs> my eyes. Three best uses of eggs in a movie. But okay, I know this one sucks, but the next one is going to be really good. I already have it picked out, so if we could swap it, if it wasn't too late, we could do it now. Well, I'm going to go ahead, even though Dingus goes first, and say uh, I thought it sucked last week, but now I like it. I think it's a great one, Kelly Wand. So there. Oh. Uh, okay. Mm. All right. Do you need to? Well, you've done this before. Um. Three best uses of eggs. You want to explain yourself or just. Should we run with it? There's one movie in particular that I wanted to hip you guys to, so the whole thing was an excuse to talk about a certain movie I know you haven't seen. Ah, because good. you guys are always talking about French movies called Vignon that I haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now, will that be one of your choices? Take that, French lovers. All right. All right uh, well, no. Vignon? We'll see. <laughs> Uh, well, Dingus is doing our introducing our three by three for next week. So uh, Dingus starts us off. Dingus, what is your number three use of eggs in a movie? I'm afraid all of mine are going to be so obvious and boring. Do you want me to tell you right now then what yours are? 
No. <laughs> I, I bet I could guess two of these. Why don't you guys go ahead and write them on a piece of paper? <laughs> okay, and seal it. Seal it. Paper. Lock it in the safe. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, Diggis, what is your number three predictable use of eggs in a movie? All right, I'm going to give you guys a bit of dialogue from okay. this movie. Mm-hmm. All right, so this is a call and response. Are you ready, fellas? Are you fellas ready? Here We're we ready. Would you like an egg? No, thank you. I got a thing about chickens. Midnight um, run. It's always a safe guess. Kelly Wand would ding us to just say midnight run. What's the one? The midnight Family run. Brothers from Jim Carrey's Crazy. Me, myself, and Irene. Because they put a chicken in the guy's butt. Five easy guesses right? where Jack Nicholson's ordering a sandwich. Ah. Tom, Tom, your first guess was actually one of my runners-up. Nice work. There's eggs in Midnight Run. I did not know that. Yes, there is. Well, you'll tell us about it after three. So, what is this one? I, neither of us gets the line. We're not. We don't know that much about movies. All right. Here's the easier quote. Okay. Uh, you know, some religions think that the egg is a symbol of the soul. The fountain. No. I don't know. I haven't seen At it. At your score. It's from a 1987 film called Angel Heart. There's no eggs in Angel Heart. <laughs> Explain yourself, Dingus. <laughs> Ain't no eggs, no Angel Heart. Um, so, Mickey Rourke voice. meets with uh, Robert De Niro, who is playing a character called Lou Cipher. I don't get it. Yeah, wrong. <laughs> and uh, and he's eating an egg, and he's he's got these perfect, weird, creepy fingernails. And the whole scene is is him uh, cracking this hard boiled egg talking to Mickey Rourke, and it's very over-the-top, overblown sort of um, symbol of I'm eating a soul. And then at the end he says, many religions see this as a soul, and then he crying eats the egg. And he's very clearly the devil eating somebody's soul. And I I just remember being so creeped out by that when I first saw Angel Heart uh, in, in... it was in high school. I must have seen it. And it's just an overblown, obvious symbol, but it had an impact on me anyway because I didn't understand that they were overdoing it. Now, Wait, I don't... they show that movie in high school? What class yes. was this? This was in Home Ec. Now, I don't think I'm uh, spoiling any, anybody's list here, but was it creepier than Robert De Niro's egg interaction with Mila Jovovich in Stone? <laughs> no, but as I wrote this up, I did think about that. That was pretty creepy, too. <laughs> All right, Angel Heart. Uh, now, I want to say, so for mine, there's a, there's a bunch of scenes with uh, eggs that I really that I thought of that I really like, and I've got a, some runners-up. So, Kelly Wand, I really like this. But what I picked for my three are places where I thought it was important what an egg represents. Like, I think there are times <clears> when, when an egg appears in a movie and it's not an accident. Because eggs represent, you know, motherhood or fertility, and there's an element of frailty to them. So for each of my three choices, I feel that that it's important that it's an egg in this scene. So I didn't pick, you know, like alien eggs or anything like that. I, it's always literal eggs, and I think it's important that 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 it's an egg because it's it's addressing this aspect of what they mean to us. So my number three uh, is a movie we've seen recently, uh, The Killer Inside Me where Casey Affleck, after having done a terrible thing to a woman, is cracking open eggs in a skillet. And uh, Elias Codius comes and talks to him and confronts him, sort of, and there's some 
there's a lot of subtext between their conversation because Elias Codius knows things or suspects things that Casey Affleck will not admit, and it has to do with the murder of a woman. Uh, and the fact that Casey Affleck has cracked eggs into a skillet at this point, and there's even uh, a shot, you know, a long, you know, not a long shot, but there's a, a very specific close-up of the eggs in the skillet, and he's very just unceremoniously just <clears throat> splatting them out in the skillet. He doesn't flip them over. I watched the scene again. They're sunny side up, uh, and then during the conversation, he just scoops them onto a plate, and they sit there while Elias Codius smokes a cigarette, and they, they have this talk. Uh, and I just feel in a movie about a guy who kills two women, the fact that he's eating these two eggs and, and the movie is so much about his issues with his mother, uh, with what he's been taught as a child, and the, the legacy left to him by his mother, uh, that it's important that eggs were in that scene. So that's my number three. Also because vaginas have shells. And teeth. Wow. Wow. <laughs> right, Kelly, sorry. Kelly, what is your number three use of uh, eggs in a scene? <laughs> uh, well, my only good one's number one, so I'm just going to zip through the first two. Okay. So we can just cut to it. All right, three is uh, Look Who's Talking, the credit sequence with the where all the sperms, Bruce Willis is going for the ovum. Just kidding. It's Cool Hand Luke. Okay, Dingus's turn. Which is it? God damn! Every every one of your choices is two or three things. I can hear that. Tom writing. That was what I was waiting to hear. <laughs> I, I want to waste Tom's time in writing hand. and writing ink. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and everyone's time. That's good to, too. It's a freebie. Uh, no, Cool Hand Luke. I don't think there's. I don't remember a scene with eggs in Cool Hand Luke. Are you no, sure? I think you're uh, wrong. I think those are avocados. Yeah, there's a scene where he eats the fifty avocados. Is that what you're thinking right. of? Right. He spits out the seeds. Those are cantaloupes. Honey, do you love me? We cantaloupe now. Please tell me that's not in Cool Hand Luke. Yeah, it's the last line. I don't believe anything you've said tonight. Arlie Army says it. What? What are you talking about? All right, that's my number three, Cool Hand Luke, avocados. All right, Dingus, what is your number two best use of an egg in a movie? Number two, here comes the quote. Here we go. Uh, wait, why are you saying wait? Do you want to talk about Cohen Luke, Kelly Wand? I forgot your number three for a minute. I I almost remember it. Okay. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to say something. Are you not going to say anything? All right, number yeah. two. Here comes the quote. I haven't felt this awful since we saw that Ronald Reagan film. Ah, Airport 75. Close. Midnight Run. <laughs> It's airplane, as Kelly Wan was guessing. I love the egg. Where's, what's the egg gag? Which egg? I don't remember the egg gag. It's right after they ask, "Is there a doctor on the on the plane?" And Leslie Nielsen gets up and says, "I yes, that's right." And he goes to the woman, and she starts uh, spitting eggs out of her mouth over and over. And over. I'm sorry. <laughs> Stop laughing. She she keeps spitting eggs out of her mouth, um, and she's sick. And he's doing this <laughs> obvious thing with his hand, this obvious sleight of hand, thing, where he keeps pulling eggs out of her mouth until he cracks one, and the bird flies away. And I just love that. <laughs> That's it. Don't let Dingus get high anymore before the podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just uh, that film uh, so stupid. 
You know, I, I want to I want to confess something terrible right now, and I, I maybe shouldn't say this because people will. I, I imagine this people will just think I'm a joyless jerk. But I, I know you don't like it. That's okay. No, 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 no. I I loved Airplane when I saw it, but I'll bet if I were to watch Airplane right now, I don't. I don't think I would find it funny. Like I don't like Mel Brooks. And, no. Did I just get like? It's not Mel Brooks. Old. I know, no. That's but I'm just saying also as well. Like I don't like. Mel that's Brooks. the movie that ruined Mel Brooks. That's the movie where you went. Gee, Mel Brooks isn't that great. Airplane is irresistible. Really? So Airplane is awesome. <laughs> Tom, what do you? What's your confession that you don't think you would well, find it? I think yeah. If I were to go back and watch Airplane, like Dingus, your hypothetical. Dingus is giggling right now, just talking about it, and I'm imagining the scene. I remember it, and I don't, I'm almost wanting Dingus to, have to uh, explain to me why it's funny because I don't think I know. I think if I were to watch no, Airplane, Airplane's funny. Too. I think if I were to watch no, it right now, okay. Well, I was just gonna say, I think if I were to watch it right now, I don't, I don't think I would be amused. Because there is no better, <laughs> for me, there's no better example of, of people being completely deadpan in utterly absurd situations than Airplane. And it's just, Leslie Nielsen is completely serious and in earnest mm-hmm. the entire film. And everybody carries that for the entire film. There's no sense of anybody ever winking. And <laughs> and she goes to find a doctor, and he's sitting there with a stethoscope on. And he goes to examine this woman. He just starts pulling eggs. And it's just such stupid sleight of hand. It doesn't even look convincing. No, it's oh. cheap. It's, it's total proof that cheaper is funnier, because it looks like it costs two cents, and it's hilarious. Oh, that, which, you're crazy. If you, maybe. You might be right. Which, which, airplane has, none of the, which airplane has the inflatable autopilot? The first airplane. one, the good one. Okay, I think I would find that funny. It's kind of weird there's no Airplane 3, you would think, because it is this American classic that you figure would have been run into the ground by... By the Wayan Brothers. You know, yeah, because there's like three Back to the Futures, but two airplanes. That doesn't make any sense. There's seven Saw movies. Yeah, what, what's going on here? In two years or something. <laughs> there's like 15 Harry Potter movies. <laughs> and it's not like airplane costs any money. And they can they just make... Never mind. You know what well, they I, placed I, airplane? Well, the Wayan Brothers so things. Like, are those... those no, no. Uh, aren't those scary movie, funny movie things? Like, aren't those Wayan Brothers? Maybe not. They were initially, but now even those are... But I think those, Kelly Wand, are the cheap, sort of like one-off, dirt-cheap, slapstick comedy things. I think those are filling the slot that you're talking about that Airplane should fill. But Airplane is a comedy classic. Like, everything Dingus is saying... Like, and also, it's just like... It's it's good. Like, the retardation is... Right. It's just so... It's... It's... Oh, it's brimming over with with gags. You know, and, and, and some with, of the jokes are really slow, but in Meet the Spartans, they just like sing and they just they just replicate scenes exactly. Like they've totally missed the point of Airplane, and that's what Airplane's the debased form of it's become. It's like Meet the Spartans movies. The thing you're saying is brimming over with gags and what? It's just the the things they're making fun of with within the context of the films they're making fun of and the other films. There, it is so rich, and those films that followed that you're talking about, the joke is all in the title. It's like it's like the copy guy sketch from Saturday Night Live. Oh, I love that though. The, the Meet the Spartans is all is all the poster and right. and the title, and that's yeah. the joke. And it's not going to go beyond that. It's a Saturday Night Live sketch. And yeah, exactly. Airplane is. Full. It's just, it's so full and so rich of making fun of those movies and and the time period, and just 
movies in general. It's uh, it's just so rich. Okay, well here's my okay. Then I'm going to revise my theory. My theory then I think it's like with Monty Python, where I feel it's been quoted so often, and it's so familiar that maybe for me it's lost some of the the inherent humor. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. You know, you know I, I'm probably I think wrong. you're I'll right. Bet, I'll bet I if I were to watch it, I'd like it. But but go ahead, Dingus. You, no, you might. You and might. Leon's getting larger, Tom. But I think that too until I put put the DVD in. And I think that whole Shirley thing, or or it, it's a hospital. What is it? Those types of jokes. <laughs> I'm just gonna think. Oh, whatever. But when I when I see those actors doing it, and they're so deadpan, they're so earnest, and they they just completely sell themselves out. It's it it, it gets me every time. I, I just watched the egg gag tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> All right. Okay. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> okay. Good. I like it too, but Dingus's laugh is so gay; it's making me wonder. If <laughs> I should like it. Like that's a Monty Python fan's laugh right there. That's totally that's what nerd that is. In the library. Yeah. <laughs> nice to see me. <laughs> wow. Ouch. No offense, Dingus. No, none taken. Well, I, I feel bad now. I'm going to bring the room down with my number two. Uh, Airplane two. <laughs> uh, no, my number two is uh, is Funny Games, and it works for either one. Because it's mm. Funny oh, Games. Oh, good one. That's a good one. And, and the, yeah, the early menacing part with again, it's the mother. It's one of these these kids, these two boys who are sort of like serial killers. I don't want to give too much away, but it opens with, there's something very weird about them, but it opens with them coming from next door to borrow eggs. Uh, and there's just a weird scene where he borrows, like there's a, how many do you need? And he needs more than she's willing to give. And it's these, these two boys just pushing the envelope of, of sort of social acceptability and becoming increasingly inappropriate, and all begins with a request to borrow eggs, and, and the eggs get broken, and he comes back. Mm-hmm. And it's just really weird and uncomfortable. It's before the movie descends into its flat-out horror phase. Um, but eggs I, represent the fragility of society. Like, that's all it takes. You mean frailty. Is fragility a word? I guess it is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Frailty's fine. Uh, I want to ask you guys something. Get a little personal and anecdotal here. Uh, I had a girlfriend who used to keep cartons of eggs, like everyone does in their refrigerator, and when she would crack an egg and use it, she would put the shells back in the little carton and leave them there until all 12 eggs were used up, at which point she would throw it away. So when you would go in there to get an egg, there's all of these, like, half shells with little, you know, the little reservoir of egg juice in the bottom. Isn't that kind of gross? That's gross, isn't it? Do you guys do that? Is that like a common? God, no, that's yeah. horrible. Doesn't that infect the other eggs? And you got a rotten egg smell coming from your fresh egg carton. That's what I'm thinking. Dingus, is, that, is that something that happens at the Mukowski household? Dingus? No, that's flat out creepy. She was doing experiments. <laughs> a girl did that? I can't believe a girl would do it. It's something like the slob character in Police Academy would do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, all right, eggs, eggs either go into was, your compost heap or right into the disposal. What? What's she doing? Just like uh, Geppetto said. Was this the chick with yellow teeth? No, no. <laughs> and were they yellow from egg yolks? No, no, no. That was a Russian girl, and I hope you feel bad. Oh. But that happened to her because of Chernobyl. That's oh. fallout from Chernobyl. It was not. That's what she said. I dated a girl who was in Russia at the time, and she said it was from. Well, oh, that's kind of hot, actually. 
Give me your number. Radioactive teeth. Yeah, like How about her. that? <laughs> Wait, and she wasn't the egg girl, the Chernobyl girl. No. Maybe the, Chernobyl and eggs, you know. No, no. Those were, those were unrelated incidents. Yeah. So. Such a harem to keep track of. Right, I hope you feel it's bad, Kelly Wan, making fun of Chernobyl survivors. Jerk. No, I got horny thinking about... But anyway, I think that Funny Games is a great choice. Uh, and I'm not a fan of that, obviously. But that that moment you're talking about creeps me out because that's when the film was still menacing for me. When they were when they were asking that that is so that's such a great choice. Good job, Tom. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And it, it applies, by the way, to both movies. Uh, the the original French or is it German language? French language? No, it's German language, isn't it? It's German. French yeah. would make a movie like that. They would have all had sex. Well, but my, <laughs> Michael Haneke went on to do movies uh, in France, French language movies. And I think Funny Games might predate that and be a, an early because he's Austrian, I believe. But I, I think Funny right. Games right. is German language. But even the uh, American language one, which we call English, uh, with Michael Pitt and Naomi Watts. Uh, but I, you know, I didn't think about that because it, it at first it's just about sort of the vulnerability of. Of of how far do you take civility uh, before you yeah. have to pull it back? And it could have been a cup of sugar, which is the American equivalent. But uh-huh. eggs, eggs are so much a better choice. Exactly, it could not it. have been a, it could not have been a cup of sugar, Dingus. That, that's that's right. sort of the point. I mean, it, it it's all about you, you know motherhood. You can't break sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, isn't Austria just the Canoga Park of Germany? Wow, good one. <laughs> gonna, what's Take the limit on the, on the number of times you can queue up Britney Spears? I know. <laughs> Kelly Wan, you're, you're hitting them out of the park tonight. Good work. I'm on fire. Uh, what's your number two egg-related scene, Kelly Wan? Uh, my number two ties in with yours because it's from one of my favorite Steven Spielberg movies. Always. Mm-hmm. <sighs> <laughs> That's the one that made me cry the most, but it's not my favorite. The sequel never. Oh. Uh, okay, I'll give you a hint. It's 1941. <laughs> wait, hold on, hold on. I know this. Um, uh, I remember eggs from that. Where are there? Wait, eggs? Schindler's List. Wait, wait. I screwed up. Wait, the, the clue was it takes place in 1941. Okay, now guess. <laughs> there are parts of Schindler's List, aren't there? That would be in the Schindler's. Tom, List? tell your cat to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hold on, I have to put my child out. <laughs> so it, it's 1941, the movie, Kelly Wander? It's another... Yeah, Spielberg. you don't remember the scene I'm talking about? The egg scene in 1941? I do not. You'll have to refresh my memory. Is it with when he's trying to get the girl's dress off in the cockpit of the bomber? No, it leads up to that. It's Treat Williams. He spills egg on Treat Williams' sleeve, and it freaks Treat Williams. He goes, oh, I hate egg. Get oh. off me, and... That's what starts the fight, the last of the whole movie, and causes the war, because Nazis are just the Canoga Park of Austrians. Doesn't quite work. So Nineteen forty-one. All right, because Treat Williams gets uh, egg on his sleeve. He hates egg, and it causes a, a Donny Brook that that goes throughout the movie. Okay. I know it's no funny games, Mister Competition. It's not even a cool hand loop, Kelly Wand. That should have been your number. My number one will make up for it because it, it fits your category of eggs being meaning things. I look forward to it. Uh, Dingus, what is your number one use of eggs? Dingus still here. Oh, yeah, my my number one has already been derided by Tom, but I'm used to that because it's sort of a tradition on the podcast. 
Uh, and here's a here's a quote from it. Um, it's full of leathery objects, like eggs or something. Oh well, I didn't think people would pick non-human eggs. I mean, that's that's classic, and that's certainly something I thought we would talk about in the runners-up. But uh, I mean, that's, uh, that's the classic. Me. Right. Eggs, non-human eggs, or chicken eggs, which is the ones used in. The oh, good point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like non-Earth eggs. Like, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. Oh, <laughs> uh, this was one of my runners-up. <laughs> Wait, um, Tom didn't mention that movie. Did he? he said he he sort of he's, he just tossed off. Uh, well, not alien eggs or whatever. Well, I didn't say uh, alien capital A dingus. I was using right. lower A because there's all kinds of horror movies with alien eggs in, involved. We know what you were talking but about. <laughs> no, you he said replicant, but he meant any kind of replicant. <laughs> all right, so dingus, explain what the movie is and why it's your number one pick. Uh, the movie is Alien, and uh, I. I just, <laughs> I love the the moment where uh, John Hurt looks down at, and he's poking around the eggs, and he he illuminates the egg and he's trying to figure out what it is and the egg open opens up and it, when when Kelly wanted to mention this this category I, I thought about this immediately and then I started thinking about other things and um, there I've got a lot of uh, runners up but Alien has to be the one for me. It's also part of the trailer, the epic first Alien trailer where the egg cracks. There's spooky right. music. Yeah. Right. Well, it's certainly, it's nothing if not iconic. Um, <laughs> yeah, it tapped into our fear of eggs. <laughs> well, it's it's really a, a perverted horror movie version of, you know, reproduction and, and fertility and, and motherhood. I mean, that's the whole point of, you know, that, that alien ecology. Uh, I watched Murderer. recently uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers in 1978 one. Uh, that's my favorite one. Man, that's it's so favorite. good. It is so good. That's Kelly Wanda, you talk about the, the dog crossbred with the, the banjo player. I'd totally forgotten about that scene, and you mentioned it. And even though you'd mentioned it and I was waiting for it, it was way freakier than I expected. Um, There's a lot of freaky shit in that movie. There really is. There's it's like nine freaky, yeah. Yeah, but I wanted, to, I wanted to say, I bring that up because it gets more into the ecology of the pods, mm-hmm. which are kind of mm-hmm. eggs, than the, the original 1950s version does. And I can't help but think of that in creating this alien ecology and then think of alien, aliens and all the, the other movies and how that's the, I guess, the, the pinnacle of us sort of imagining this alien ecology. And it all starts with that, those eggs in Alien. Um, they, they have right. such a, an enduring legacy, as it were. Uh, well, a pod is a vegetable egg. So in a way, I don't think body snatchers. A yeah, pod's a seed. I don't know that you could... I mean, I thought well, of that. Let's joke. Yolk's a seed. It's an egg seed. Yolk is a mitochondria. Hello. It's a mitochondria. And what do chickens eat? Chicken feet. Did you see Sarah Palin's Alaska tonight? Was uh, one? I did not, but we'll, we'll bring we'll bring that up on our uh, TV podcast. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's not because of screen. And, you know. Are there eggs in the Sarah Palin reality TV show, Kelly Wand? Yeah, there are fish <laughs> eggs. Ah. But that's right. my name for her, her uh, rack. Uh, all right, so alien, good good choice. Yeah. I guess even though they're not human eggs, like chicken eggs are. Uh, <laughs> right. I meant like eggs that the human experience in, includes. I, I don't right, know. Yeah. right, non-fictional eggs. Right, <laughs> fictional. Right. Eggs. I didn't know. Yeah. All right, here's my number one, and this again is such a small thing, but I think it's important. I think there's a reason that it's eggs in this scene. Uh, it's a Danny Boyle movie. 
Uh, and 28 days later, after uh, they get sort of ostensibly rescued by the military, uh, they sit down to dinner with them, and the cook has prepared for them an omelet that gets spread around to everybody, and Christopher Eccleston is the first one to taste it, and he does this thing where he's chewing it, and then he just spits it out, and he says, these eggs have gone off, uh, and he takes all the eggs away from everyone and throws them away. Now, like that could be, you'd think at first that could be any kind of food, but I think it's important that these soldiers are eating and rejecting eggs, considering that they, what they intend to do with these women, and, and, and the sort of the weird turn the movie takes at that point. Uh, you know, you know the, the movie is a lot about fathers. You know, fathers are, are a persistent theme in 28 Days Later, how Brendan Gleeson is sort of a father figure for Jim. Right. We lose right. him, and then Christopher Eccleston is a replacement father figure for him. Uh, and, you know, where do women fit into here? And in, in a way, there's no room for them, and that's what Jim has to rescue them from, is they're just going to be used to, to repopulate the species. Um, so I, I love the little detail that, that, that they get served eggs, and that Christopher Eccleston says, not that they've gone bad, not that they're spoiled. He says, and I quote, these eggs have gone off, which I think is British. <laughs> I don't know what it means. I don't speak British, but uh, it's it's just an odd choice. Uh, Aren't they powdered eggs, though? They're not because they no. they reference the fact that they everything they eat is out of tins because they're in survival mode. But the cook says, you know, I've been saving these eggs for when uh, you know I, I brought them out because we have special guests now. Um, so no, they're not powdered eggs, and uh, and they're eggs from tins. No, the, all the food no, they're, they're eating is from tins. Uh, and Christopher Ruckman says, yeah, you know, we have tinned this, tinned that, tinned this, and let's see what the special dish is. And he lifts off a little silver cover, and it's omelets, and everybody gets omelets. Uh, but he doesn't let them eat it, and he spits it out, and he rejects the eggs. Uh, so there's my number one use of eggs. All right. I like it. Okay, so what? you're saying women are like omelets. You gotta uh, break some to make a. That's, you gotta. That's what you gotta flip them over to. Uh, that onions. I mean, wow, yeah, that might be what the survivors <laughs> at the Manchester unit might. United. Tom speaks Manchester. The Manchester unit. Well, that's where they are. That's where the movie. They go to Manchester, and that's where the military. Tom, uh, that's the filthiest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> it's gonna. They're in it. Manchester, and it's a military unit. Oh, good lord. Jerks. All right, Kelly, what is your what is your number one? You said it was going to be great. What is your number I'm very one? excited. All right. This is the whole reason we've been having this idiotic conversation. All right, so it's a movie we need to see. Okay. Okay. Maybe you've seen it. Have you ever seen this movie called The Trouble with Lou? Wow. It's like a fake. Oh, you haven't? No. It's like a fake 1950s educational movie about this kid who uh, has a masturbation problem. Directed by Gregor Joachim. But not that Gregor Joachim. Oh. Anyway, the part I'm talking about, tell me if this is, this will make you want to see it. He's trying to get the attention of this girl, so he's like yelling at her window, her bedroom window upstairs, and she can't hear him. So there's like a bird's nest next to him. So there's eggs in it, the no mother bird, and he starts throwing eggs at her window to get her from attention. the nest. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's terrible. 
I know, it's, but it's terrible ha-ha. And, see, he has a masturbation issue, and he's throwing eggs at the girl's window and breaking them. See? I don't get it. I don't it's understand what, what a masturbation issue is. <laughs> he... He likes masturbation, but he doesn't like sex. He's more interested in masturbation. Which, I can understand. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan, you made me think... And he, he meets this girl who also is like him, and so they both masturbate together. But it's told in the form of a 50s educational movie, black and white educational movie. And you actually are recommending that we see this? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. That scene didn't make it sound good. I guess I ruined it. Uh, you've reminded me of an Australian horror movie called Coffin Rock, uh, mm. which uh, is about a, a couple who uh, they can't conceive, and they're going to fertility clinics. And uh, and at first, it seems like it's just going to be a drama about this you know middle aged couple, and they really want a child, and uh, it's make it you know their marriage is they're, they're dealing with it, but it's it's a it's a difficult problem for them. So at this fertility clinic, the clerk who, and I don't know why he's there, they don't really explain it, but he's an Irish kid. He falls in love with the woman, and he starts stalking her. Uh, and at one point, he gets a job where she works, and he can't bring himself to talk to her. He's so nervous around her. So as a gift, he gives her, he just finds something. He's like, oh, I'll give this to her. It's an empty bird nest. <laughs> Which you would think is not a very appropriate thing. And he, as a gesture, is like, I got, I got this present for you. But he does it with his Irish accent. And he gives her the empty bird's nest. <laughs> does she like it? Well, she's polite. He's really weird and creepy throughout. Uh, yeah. and so, it's like Taxi Driver. It's like Taxi Driver, but if Travis Bickle was Irish in a small Australian town and didn't mm. drive a taxi. So, mm. so you, well, a bouquet is just a bird's nest, but with flowers on it filled with bees. <laughs> in your heart. <laughs> Oh, uh, all right. you didn't want to see Trouble with Blue. No, I do. I've got it on my list right here to, to see it. Because it's a- masturbation, but there's he's throwing bird's eggs. See? Mm-hmm. It's got everything. Ability. <laughs> uh, also, runners-up. Okay, one of, one of the runners-up, I, I didn't pick this one. I love the scene, but I think it could be any food. And as a matter of fact, I'm not certain that it's eggs. But the very end of Big Night. Doesn't someone, doesn't, isn't that... Just a shot of Stanley Tucci preparing an omelet for his brother. It absolutely is, and that was one of mine too. And it's very important that it's an omelet. I think. What now? Why do you say that, Dingus? Because that's what I struggled with. Is that I thought oh, it could be French toast or whatever. Why is it important? It's an omelet. I think from a cooking point of view, it is. Um, the 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 night has been such an ordeal. As my son has mentioned, <laughs> and like and that moment, that moment of making the omelet, and and that that take is is one take of him actually doing it, and this is this is a difficult thing to do properly, but it's a it's a beautiful and loving thing to do, and I think it's I think it's supposed to be an omelet, and I really love that scene. I, I'm not. Also, I, I don't know that it it has a symbolism as far as eggs are concerned, but I think the the act of making an omelet is is an important moment there. I think that eggs it symbolize would... breakfast food, and it's at the end of the night. See, ah, uh, and so another runner up. I'm surprised nobody. Actually, this is it's a little pedestrian, but this is kind of famous. Uh, Rocky, you know, where he drinks the raw egg. Uh, Isn't that kind mm. of a famous egg scene? 
Right. Mm. Uh, doesn't Olivia Olivia Thurlby, who I know Kelly Wan, uh, doesn't she make uh, some remark about how eggs are chicken abortions in is it Juno or for some reason I'm thinking there's some movie where Olivia Thurlby is is refusing to eat eggs because she says they're chicken abortions. <laughs> Does anyone know what that is? Abortions. But is that a Juno? Abortion? What am I thinking of? Is that Juno? Does anyone know? I don't uh, know. But... I, Sounds right. Maybe when I see her, I can't hear her at the same time, so I can never understand, never remember what she says. Uh, there is a great shot, and it's just one shot, but I always I'm struck by how gross and effective it is. Uh, early on in With Nail and I, which is about two guys in London who have to get out of the city and who leave the city and go to the country for a while. But one of the really gross things that happens early on in the city is they go to an English uh, bar or pub or whatever. And there's a dude eating an egg sandwich. And as he bites into it, the yolk squirts out the other end of the sandwich. And it's just really a <laughs> brief, gross shot that highlights just how icky the English are with food. Uh, <laughs> Racist. <laughs> uh, and going I had Rodan. My... Go ahead, Kelly. Rodan and Night and Day. Remember, because he makes the little... Uh... He puts the notes on the eggs and says, hey, look under the bed. There's another egg. Rodan, that big flying thing the Gamera fights? Yeah. Rodan hatches. You just made also, me think of Mothra, where they're like, please return our egg. Ah, oh, very good. I like Dingus's better. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is an egg, too. That's true. Yeah. Uh, what's, also, son of Rodan. What's what's night and day? What's the night and day one you were talking about? Night, night and day is the one I thought of when you were talking about your morning omelet. He leaves he leaves eggs for her in that skillet. He leaves ah. notes all over the house. Right, right, right. They Just say go. things like, I wrote this eggs over there, and then the mm. eggs. Remember from the note I just wrote? <laughs> <laughs> All right, other, other runners-up. Any other uh, great uses of eggs? I cut off Dingus. Let's hear what Dingus was going to say. Uh, I had two other in my in my theme was all movies that begin with A, and uh, Amelie was another one because uh, mm. the sperm and the egg meet in that. Mm-hmm. And then Annie Hall, there's a funny line about we use mm-hmm. a large vibrating egg. Um <laughs> Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters was an obvious one because of the fried eggs on the counter. And then, the fried uh, eggs on the counter in Ghostbusters. I haven't seen Ghostbusters in forever. She she's back from the grocery store and she puts uh, she puts the egg cap carton on the counter, and then the the eggs all pop up and fry on the counter, and that's how she knows there's a demon in her refrigerator. Ah, okay, that's how she knows a Babylonian spirit is there. Mm-hmm. And the the midnight run thing was uh, chorizo and eggs. It's a lovely exchange that they go through when they finally get to a diner and Robert De, Robert De Niro's character is going to spend his money on cigarettes and, uh, and Jonathan Mardukas wants to spend his money on chorizo and eggs. Now, why does Robert De Niro get the actor's name, but Charles Grodin gets the character's name? Uh, because I forget De Niro's character name. <laughs> Isn't it Jack? Isn't he just Jack? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Cause I can just see Charles Grodin saying Jack. I could be wrong about that. But that's uh, no, you're right. You're right. Okay. All right, so Dingus, what do you have for us next week? What is next week's 3x3? Three three? I really like this one, Kelly Wand. I thought you did well. Mm. So if you got one better than this, then you're doing great. Your first response was, seriously, what's your real one? 
That's, that's going to be his response for mine because mine's really crappy. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Mm. But I'm due. I'm due for a crappy one. And and I'm I'm you know again I I'm not even sure we haven't done this so you're going to have to help me out. Um, this is uh, three films that deserve a sequel. Mm, great. I don't Flag like it. Flag it a click. Films that deserve a sequel. All right. Yep. Do they go. Wait. Question. <laughs> go ahead. Um, wait, who's that? Kelly. It's Kelly Wong. Go ahead. Can they be sequels? And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm holding nothing back. It's, it's three films that you think, uh, or three movies. Uh, th- that's my way of distilling it. It's basically th- three movies you wish had a sequel or three, three movies you would like to see a sequel for. But I didn't want to end it with a uh, preposition, so I'm, I'm saying three films that deserve a sequel. But basically, and, and my, my, my son agrees, uh, three, three movies that, that deserve a sequel, that you would like to see a sequel for. All right. That probably don't have one already. All right. Wait, so, okay. <laughs> All right, so, uh, so uh, I'm going to take anything with the word zapped in the title off the table. Oh, sing. Wow. Good one. Good one, Dingus. Well, zapped again. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're up to. I'm just taking zapped off the table. We're on to you. But zapped you, again's not a true sequel. Because it's yeah, you, you can't replace. I'm not. You can't replace crappy sequels uh, with your sequel. I'm ah, saying good. Okay. movies that don't have a sequel. And if you want to use like the last film in a, in a string, that's fine. But movies that don't have a sequel that you think deserve a sequel. And I would I would prefer single films. But if you want to use the last in a string, that's fine. But you you're not allowed to replace. So Attack of the Clones is a prequel and a sequel. And a classic. No, no Star Wars movies. How about that? No. That that should be a perpetual rule. Wait, yeah, that, that should be the new category. <laughs> Three movies that aren't Star Wars. <laughs> I like that. I could, only, I could only come up with two. Uh. <laughs> All right, so three films that deserve sequels. I, I like it. We'll see where we go. You know what? I, I'm lying. I don't like it, but uh, I think I will oh, like it don't. as I think of stuff over the course of the week. And I but think I'll end Tom's- up... Tom's never liked a single topic that he didn't announce. No, I I loved your three favorite movies you'd take to a desert island. Boy, that one was great. (laughs) (laughs) This is so different from that. Three movies. It's a different concept. These these you wouldn't take to a desert island, but you would (laughs) want to see a a sequel to them. Totally different. In other words, they're great. All right. All right, well... Uh, Kelly Wand is, is, is criticizing my category. Yeah, Kelly Wand. It's easy to throw stones at an egg. <laughs> All right, so there we go. Uh, next week we will be seeing... Are we ready for this? We are going to see Uh-oh. next week the Dwayne Johnson actioner Faster. Ah, yay! Yeah. Uh, so join us for that, as well as three films that deserve sequels. I am. It's the sequel to Fast. It's true. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I am joined by Christian... You- Kowski, I believe. Yeah, it's Christian Morosky. Christian the Rock Morosky. And Kelly Wand. 127 hours was gripping.
If you're in the desert, be safe. Don't chase roadrunners.